Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County and Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. This is the first time we've been on video as well as audio, so it is a new experience for us here on Facebook Live. Cora is a nurse practitioner with WellMed and working on her doctorate degree at the University of Texas, Houston, uh, where she will be heading off tonight, in fact, for a study group class tomorrow. And you are almost halfway through. Almost halfway through. That's right. I'm on my second semester, finishing that up right now, and still go into summer and uh, graduate in 2021. Wow. Yeah, I'm excited. It flies along. And we're delighted to welcome to our WellMed Radio Hotline, Dr. Gabriel Ortiz Varela. He's an internal medicine physician at San Antonio's premier internal medicine, part of the WellMed Network earned his medical degree from the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston, completed his residency in internal medicine at Oxner Medical Center in Jefferson, Louisiana. He's a member of the American College of Physicians, and we're going to talk with him, uh, kick it off, talking about COPD. And Dr. Uh, Gabe Ortiz, thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you on and uh, delighted to have you as part of the WellMed Network. Talk to us a little bit about COPD. I see the TV ads all the time where grandpa can't keep up, keep up with his grandkid, can't breathe, and then he takes magic medicine and he's running the 40-yard dash. <laughs> yes, sir. I've seen those same commercials as well. Well, it's actually a pretty common respiratory condition. Um, it stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and it's characterized by limited airflow. Um, it affects more than 5% of the population and is associated with very high morbidity and mortality as well. Morbidity um, would mean what? Talk, go ahead. When you say morbidity, what do you mean? Just that, it, it, just in terms of of just um, quality of life, if you will, it's just very hampering on, on someone's quality of life, and uh, you know, with frequent hospitalizations, exacerbations, um, need for chronic therapies, uh, clinic visits. Um, it's just a real, real hassle. And is that magic treatment I see on TV as magic as it looks? <laughs> Well, it depends on a on a case by case basis. But the short answer to your to your question is yes. In controlling the symptoms of COPD, one can absolutely um, get back their quality of life, and, and like you said, run the forty yard dash with their grandchildren. One needs to understand, though, when you're looking at these commercials, though, they are advertising the newest, latest, and greatest medications. And so, a lot of these patients will come to us when they're on Medicare, and they'll say, "Well, I saw a commercial." for XYZ medicine, and it looks new, I want to switch from my current medicine, is that a possibility? You know, it, it's, it's, it's challenging as providers sometimes, though, because these medications are often not covered under their insurance plan just yet because they are so new. They're, they're very expensive, and it's going to cost them quite a bit out of pocket. What patients do need to understand, though, is while the medications do differ in their names and, and some of their structural makeup, the essential parts of having the short-term bronchodilator that will make their airway or rescue inhaler that will make their airway open quickly um, versus the inhaled corticosteroid, which, you know, it's really not just an either-or with people. It's usually kind of we build on the treatment. Dr. Ortiz? Right. Right. And, and you know, I, I agree with that. But some of those medications are, are very hard to, to obtain depending on your insurance. Um, and again, um, it just really just depends on what stage of, of COPD uh, um, you're at and, and what medications that calls for. Let's do the 411 on COPD. First of all, uh, how do you get it? Uh, what are the symptoms and uh, how early on can you start treatment? Uh, that, that, that's a great question. So really historically, what most people connect uh, with COPD is smoking or smoking for, for decades at a time. Um, I think it's also important to note that in very limited cases, you can get a subset of COPD um, called emphysema from, from other factors. But the most common one that causes COPD um, and really affects everyday Americans is, is smoking. Um, now, in terms of symptoms, uh, I, I think the, the primary symptom that I see 
uh, in COPDs is just really just shortness of breath and trouble troubles breathing. Um, to further on that, one may occasionally have a cough um, or just a lot of congestion and phlegm that they can't really seem to, to get out. And that's that's more what I hear, too, when it comes to the cough is just, you know, I have something in my chest that I'm trying to cough out and I really just can't. So we call those non-productive um, coughs. Exactly. Yes, sir. And a lot of times when you're listening to the person cough, you can hear something down deep in their chest. You can it, it sounds like a wheezy um, kind of creepy cough. But again, they're not able to bring it up because the sputum is so thick. Correct. Mm-hmm. And yeah. with, with, yes, that is absolutely correct. With no treatment, does it get worse and worse and worse? Oh, yes, Absolutely. Um, like I said, this is a condition that's characterized by limited airflow. Um, so as the condition uh, worsens, inflammation gets greater. Um, it will eventually lead to um, you know a point where um, the oxygen exchange and airflow exchange is not is not sustainable for life. Can you talk to us about how you go about diagnosing COPD? Sure, absolutely. So the the main real test um, is really just kind of. Initially, a good history and physical exam, and then a good uh, history of their uh, of their smoking if they are a smoker. Um, you classify that as you know uh, what we call pack years, um, and so you, you take the amount that they have smoked for however long they smoked, and and you you put that in your in documentation in terms of pack years. Um, and then a physical exam um, would be would be advisable as well. And these people, um, you know, they have a certain look to them and a certain a certain, they sound a certain way with their coughs and the way they're breathing, um, and put all that together, and you can you have a good basis to order what's called a, a pulmonary function test, specifically a spirometry. Um, and this test, what it does um, is that it, it pretty much just establishes how well someone is breathing, and based on certain numbers, you can start classifying COPD. Into different um, into different categories. Now, is that where and you blow there, into that little tube and try to make that ball go up? Um, well, not not yes. That uh, that that is, that is uh, a particular type of test that, that I've seen. The ones that I have in, in my clinic um, are you just actually really breathe into into a tube for a certain period of time. Um, you breathe until until you really have nothing left in your lungs, um, and you do that several times. Um, and to the point where it establishes a nice graph that we as physicians and nurse practitioners and providers really can take a look at and determine um, from the graph and the numbers if um, someone has COPD or not. So when when people are performing this test, it's important to know that it's really difficult for someone with COPD to actually perform this test because, again, they're having to push or compress all of the air that's in their lungs. We ask them to take a large, deep breath and push that out. The thing about COPD, while they can take and inhale a huge breath of air, they have a hard time compressing that air. And so where you see them blow and blow until they can't blow anymore, somebody without COPD may really be able to forcefully push this air out and make these numbers impressive. But these patients, you can hear it as they're trying to breathe out. They're just not able to get that air out. Now, for those of you who may have just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner with WellMed. And then our on our WellMed Radio hotline, Dr. Gabe Ortiz, he's with Premier Internal Medicine here in San Antonio, and we're talking with him, started off with COPD. We're on Facebook Live at the moment, but you can only hear half the conversation, <laughs> which doesn't make it as productive for you, but we're experimenting with it, and by uh, perhaps our next couple of shows, we'll have both halves of the conversation. That would be neat, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, cool, and then Dr. Ortiz's fan club out there would have a chance <laughs> to listen exactly. as well. Uh, Dr. Ortiz, uh, when you think about COPD, are are you looking primarily at an older population of folks who are developing it, or or are there young folks with it as well? Well, I guess it really comes down to what you consider uh, young. Uh, But, yes, I have seen it mostly in in the older older population, but, you know, it really can just take um, a long, prolonged period of exposure to to tobacco and tobacco-related products. To, to obtain COPD, um, and so to answer your question directly, I, I have seen it both in young and old, but mostly in as someone gets older, uh, um, the damage starts to really take hold. So the good news would be with fewer, at least, adults smoking, uh, 
are you seeing any kind of decline in COPD, or once you have it, whether you smoke or not, it's too late? Um, well, once you have it, you know, the damage is, is more or less already there. And so, again, the, the, the name of, uh, of the game, I guess, so to speak, is to really control the, pro, uh, control the uh, inflammation, control the, the damage, and really control the symptoms so one can maintain their quality of life. You know, with with COPD, it is what we consider a forever diagnosis. So it's not something that we can cure. Now, there is um, there is asthma. You know, we, we think about asthma, and, and there are many children that have asthma and then end up growing out of it. They um, they say, "Oh, I had asthma when I was a kid, and and now I don't." And and that can happen. But you have to remember, asthma is a restrictive disease as opposed to COPD being an obstructive disease. So, so there tell me is, the difference. There is a difference. Um, I'll, actually, I'll let Dr. Um, Ortiz give us his, his specialty so on it. So restrictive and obstructive. Mm-hmm. This is your test, Dr. Ortiz. Oh, I don't need to test him. I already know he knows. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have him explain well, it then. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the pulmonary diseases, um, there's, there's really two types, that, as Cora uh, kindly illustrated, uh, there's a restrictive type of lung disease and an obstructive lung disease. Now, as she correctly mentioned, COPD is a is an obstructive lung disease, um, and what that means is that due to the inflammation and and the damage that's done to the to the airways, um, we really have a hard time getting the oxygen out, out and in. It's it's limited airflow is the character characterization of the COPD, um, as opposed to a restrictive lung disease disorder which really um, the one thing that comes to mind is any type of musculoskeletal disorders where someone can actually expand their lungs, you know, because whenever we do take a deep breath, that involves more than just our lungs. It involves all the muscles around the lungs and the actual physiologic act of taking a breath. Um, and so with restrictive disease, you know, that's just, that's just it. They're just restricted in terms of how they can actually breathe as opposed to obstructive, meaning that um, you know, there's actually an obstruction that's limiting airflow. So do we know why you can grow out of asthma? Um, you know, that's, that's actually a really interesting question, and maybe Cora can help me with this one. But um, with asthma, I've seen it a lot to where in adolescents, as they get older, they, they, can, they can control their symptoms a lot better. I'm not entirely too sure if one can say that, um, you know, they are officially cured of asthma, but their symptoms can just get a lot better to the point where you might not even need a puff of an inhaler for for years. And and I see the same thing. So I don't treat children any longer, but but we would see the same thing as they would start to progress in age. Yes, the muscles would define better and, and they were able to um, tolerate exercise a little better. However, there are some that actually turn into a restrict, I mean, from, from a restrictive asthma to an obstructive asthma, a um, little mm-hmm. bit different. than. It than looks like a, COPD. It looks a lot like COPD. It does. And the difference is, is really you're going to see that on a PFT or a pulmonary function test to be able to know the difference. Um, and, and it's a lot of times when you look at patients' history and they're not a smoker, they were an asthmatic as a child and had to be treated for asthma and never grew out of it. And then it does become it, or it can become an obstructive disease for them. And, and those individuals, you know, where I, I really see rarity in in that disease it does exist and i have maybe a handful of patients that i've seen with with obstructive asthma most of the time it is copd and if i'm if i'm kind of wavering between the two diagnoses then what i would do is send them to a pulmonologist to really give me a good interpretation of the pft the ones that we do in the office they're they're kind of a scaled back version, if you would. It's not an in control setting mm-hmm. where they put the nose plugs over. They have the patient stand up and and breathe, you know, into this device. Um, so it's it's a little different in the office setting. So if I'm if I'm going back and forth between is this chronic asthma or chronic obstructive asthma or is this chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, then at that point I would go ahead and send that patient over to a pulmonologist. All right, Dr. Ortiz, hold that Mm -hmm. thought. We're going to come right back to you right here on Wellman Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. And Dr. Ortiz is 
on our WellMed Radio hotline, and we will talk with him further, not only about COPD, but we will expand it into other issues that affect a whole lot of folks. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS on air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. We're playing here with my little iPhone right here on WellMed Radio as we were trying to figure out, <clears throat> pardon me, how to deal with the issues that go with uh, trying to bring both sides of uh, Facebook Live. But we digress. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke. This is WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. And we are talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Gabe Ortiz. He is with San Antonio Premier Internal Medicine, which is part of the WellMed Network. And Dr. Ortiz, uh, let me ask you, are, are you accepting new patients for those who may be listening? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, we, we accept most forms of, of insurance, um, and, and I am accepting patients, and I do do a lot of uh, same-day visits. So if you want to be seen by a primary care physician, just come on by. Tell and where, where are you located? I was going to say, tell us where you're located. Yeah, where do we find you? <laughs> so I actually uh, am responsible for two clinics in the practice. There's uh, one that's on 4411 East South Cross Boulevard in San Antonio, Texas. And then the other one is located at 1139 Southeast Military Drive, again, in San Antonio, Texas. And both are conveniently located in the south side of San Antonio. Yeah, that's not too far from uh, either of your locations. So you could actually mm-hmm. use a little moped to go from clinic to clinic. Exactly. If you know of a good moped, let me know. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll give you a call. Now, we were talking about COPD, and I want to move on from there. But uh, before we leave COPD... Uh, for folks who may be listening, uh, who may be caregivers, who may have COPD, uh, what's your best advice on controlling and minimizing the impact and the outlook uh, that can improve COPD? Sure. Well, first and foremost, uh, the patient has to quit smoking. Um, you know, that's obviously kind of the, one of the main causes of COPD, and so an immediate cessation of smoking uh, is the first thing that someone can do. Um, secondly is to uh, go see your primary care physician or, or, or doctor that you see um, to get to get frequently tested and seen um, because, you know, COPD is a very damaging disease. It can lead to a lot of, a lot of real nasty uh, um, side effects and, 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 and symptoms. And as you think about uh, the numbers of folks who have COPD, is research continuing on better and better treatments, and is there a possibility to find a cure, a way to reverse the impact? Um, that's a real interesting question. So the answer to the research part of it is, is yes. You know, we're always trying to, uh, to find better, better treatments that patients can um, really be more compliant with. Because that's a big issue with not only COPD, COPD medications, um, but really with all medications. And I'm sure Cora can, can tell you about that, too. Um, so really the research is to find, you know, that one medication that's going to help with, with the inflammation and the damage um, and that, you know, you won't have to take all the time. It's interesting. You know, right now the only, I guess, cure for COPD at this point would be a lung transplant because you'd have to give the patient something something better to compress. But, again, you know, knowing what we know now, we've we've significantly seen the number of adults who smoke decrease. The unfortunate thing is we're starting to see the number of children right. 
that smoke increase because probably uh, the, primarily teenage women. Yeah, and it, it's the vaping, mm-hmm. and and they're starting to see that it's it's cool. Um, it's it's um, they're flavored, and and they make it appealing to kids. And so, of course, peer pressure and everything else lead to more teens starting to smoke. So I think you know we're going to get to maybe my generation, which is what we consider Gen X. That that doesn't have COPD. We might see, you know, their even their their parents were becoming more aware of the damaging effects of tobacco, and so you know they stopped smoking. And so my generation may be the generation that doesn't that doesn't have COPD. But I do fear that the generation after mine, we're going to start to see a lot more COPD because of the vaping. And and you know now that cannabis is starting to become legal, we still don't know the ramifications with the lungs. On of cannabis, so we can't meaning marijuana. Yes, we we can't say without a without a shadow of a doubt that that this is not going to lead to COPD. We just don't know that yet. Doctor Ortiz, what's the difference if there is any between COPD and emphysema, or are they the same? Um, well, emphysema is actually one of the subtypes of COPD as a whole disorder. Um, the other one would be uh, chronic bronchitis. And chronic bronchitis symptoms are. So with chronic bronchitis, I mean, if you take the word bronchitis and really just kind of define it, it really is just an inflammation of what's called the bronchioles in the lungs. So the, the real medical definition of, of chronic bronchitis is a chronic productive, as opposed to non-productive, chronic productive cough for three months in each of two success, successive years uh, in a patient who, you know, experiences chronic cough. I know that sounds like a mouthful, but pretty much it's just the main symptom is just this chronic productive cough that's occurring for most of the time out of, out of you know, a certain amount of years. And, and also, before we move on from COPD, too, I think that it's important to remember that people with COPD or any type of lung disease, even if it's asthma, every year they need to go get their flu vaccine because they are at higher risk for acquiring, developing, or catching some of these viruses that are out there. And flu and pneumonia are those that attack the respiratory system. So the pneumonia vaccine is very important. Once you're 65, you need the pneumonia shot. And, and there are two of them now. Right. But the pneumonia shot, once you get the, once you get the pneumonia vaccine, you're covered for life. Now, if you get it prior to your 65th birthday, then the thought is, is that you need to get another, another backup vaccine. But the flu vaccine and people with COPD should get the high dose flu vaccine, not just the standard. So there's two different types of flu vaccine out there and they need to get the high dose because we need to protect them um, a little more, give them a little extra boost to their immune system to fight off some of these some of these viruses that are out there. As you take a look at your patients, uh, Dr. Ortiz, uh, obviously in the best of all possible worlds, all get vaccinated for flu. Yeah, you know, it's 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 actually a requirement now or it's Medicare is starting to make it a requirement. They're starting to put um like a almost like a report card out for the PCP to follow and it's an algorithm of here's all the preventative stuff we want you to do. And and your PCP can get penalized if you don't receive the flu vaccine because it's their responsibility to give you the right education. Now, there are some people who can't get the flu vaccine due to allergies or, or whatever else. So there is a buffer. It's not 100% of your patients need to be covered. But it is our job to make sure that you understand what the flu vaccine does, can help you with, and can prevent some of these diseases and, and, and uh, viruses that are out there. So it gives me as a patient a lot of control. I can get my PCP dinged if I say, nah, I'm not going to do that. You sure can. You can get your PCP dinged. And then remember, when you get your PCP dinged long enough, your PCP ends up having to close shop because they can't take care of you. They're showing that they're not taking good care of you. So All you don't right. want to do that. Well, I'll be compliant then. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of the stuff the patient is in the driver's seat, and that's why it's so important as as providers to partner and collaborate with our patients and give them the right education and say, look, Medicare is looking for us to do this because here are A, B, and C, the reasons why we should. And then you can say as a patient, you know, I don't agree with that. And and, and that's your right. But it is our it is our responsibility to make sure you have the right education. So, Dr. Ortiz, when we hang around the chest area and look at the lungs, the heart isn't far from there. 
Uh, as you uh, deal with especially Medicare-eligible seniors, are there issues affecting the heart uh, that are high on your radar list? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. Um, primarily, the I guess the, the main thing that I, I see is atherosclerotic disease related to high cholesterol or blood pressure issues. Um, and then secondly, you know, as someone gets, gets older, we have to worry about things like C, uh, CHF or congestive heart failure. Those probably be the top three things that I see prevalent in my, in my clinics. Now, sure. atherosclerotic means hardening of the arteries? Yeah, it's just where, where the, this plaque, just atherosclerosis, um, is just this generation of just inflammation that develops into this plaque form that can cause a blockage of the arteries that can limit the blood flow to important organs such as, uh, as your heart. You know, the way I describe it to patients is I think about um, a garden hose having, you know, um, a hairball or something in it. Or as, as, you know, a lot of our water out in the country, as you know, I live out in the country, our water has a lot of sand and, and, and grit and stuff in it, and I call it plaque. And so it builds up in the hoses. We can't we can't keep a hose around longer than a year because stuff stuff starts to build up in it. And so I tell patients, you know, mm-hmm. after a while, the water pressure you can really hear it backing up into the house. You know, you can hear the roar, the roaring of the pipes, if you will, because that water pressure is trying to push that that water through. It's the same inside of our blood vessels. So when you have five o'clock traffic stuck on the sides of your blood vessels and you've got the ambulance that's trying to come through in a hurry which is your blood flow uh, to get down to the tip of your toes and five o'clock traffic ain't moving over where's it going to go it backs up and so then it causes damage it causes an enlarged heart it causes your muscle to have to work overtime that's so, an interesting way. Mm-hmm. It's very visual. You can see that. Yeah, you, and you you have to give people a visual clue of like that. Because otherwise, if I say atherosclerosis and this is something you have, they say, okay, I, mm-hmm. that's that's great. Give what am pill. I going to do about it? Exactly. And some people don't want to take a pill, so you have to explain to them why it's important to. And what's the most mm-hmm. important thing? Diet and exercise. That not that the cure for mm-hmm. everything? Diet and, every <laughs> Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. And as you look at... Uh, for example, uh, chronic uh, congestive heart failure, uh, that sounds really bad. What does it mean? So what it means is, is that, um, you know, your heart is, there's something wrong with the, with the pumping mechanisms uh, of your heart that really kind of limit um, blood flow and blood volume into the heart so that, um, you know, there's fluid and other stuff that may back up into your lungs, or lungs, excuse me, um, or you may see some fluid build up in your legs, and it really just leads to um, a lot of other bigger problems that kind of start affecting um, your whole body, um, such as kidney issues, and it's just it's just a real, real um, terrible, terrible disease and disorder. What triggers it? Um, well, that's that's a, that's a pretty good question. There's there's a lot of ways to answer that. So, um, as Cora mentioned, there could be some damage to the muscle tissue that actually can contribute to um, congestive heart failure. Um, there could be a number of different infections that you can obtain. Um, mind you, these are very rare infections that can lead to uh, congestive heart failure as well. Infections of um, the heart? Yes. Yeah, well, just, just, just infections just in general of the body um, and some infections of the heart that, that could potentially lead hmm. to, to issues that would further lead to congestive heart failure. So, so basically, you have a lot of extra fluid in circulation, and most people start to notice the first signs of congestive heart failure, or they at least report the first signs, either a cough that doesn't go away, it's a dry, kind of weird cough, or they start to get fluid build up in their legs. And so they start to notice mm-hmm. that their socks are cutting into them, or um, their legs feel squishy, is what I've heard. Um I've used the term when I've charted called doughy, and I know that sounds like a very strange term, but that was some one of the only words that I could really find to describe the way that a leg feels. It feels like if you're going to knead dough. Sometimes as it gets to the end stages of CHF where they're not able to push that fluid back up into circulation, and they're not taking their medicine like diuretics to, to rid them of that fluid so that they can urinate, their legs feel like kneading dough. 
It's they're mm-hmm. squishy and you can push down. And if you push down and you let go, your finger indentations will stay in the leg. Wow. And that's when it's time to tell them, look, you have really got to take your medicines, put your legs up. And then when your legs are dependent, or actually I tell them all the time, unless you're in the shower, get some really good compression stockings to help push that fluid back up into circulation so that your heart can can reuse it and, and push it into the whole system. I'm starting to see a lot of ads for compression stockings. Mm-hmm. Now, is that mm-hmm. because a growing number of folks need them and there's a market there for sock manufacturers? I say yes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I would think so. I, I, I like compression stockings. I actually have a pair of them myself. Um, I think, I think you know, especially as, as we get older, um, it, it's, it's important to kind of maintain that, that, that vascular flow that I alluded to. So do you wear them every day? Uh, every, every other day, I'll say that. <laughs> um, I just find that, you know, after walking around all day, uh, whether I'm in the clinic or, or, you know, out in the community, right. um, you know, it really it really does kind of help with with any type of you know fluid buildup or any type of um, other issues that that can stem from you know activity. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host Cora Juke is here, nurse practitioner with WellMed, and we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Gabe Ortiz. He is with San Antonio Premier Internal Medicine, which is part of the WellMed Network, and you find him at uh, one of two clinics on the south side, 4411. East South Cross or 1139 Southeast Military Drive and indeed is uh, out there looking for new patients. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you know, honestly, their their clinics are in such great areas of town. There's such a great need. If you if you really think about it, <clears throat> patients who have um, well-med insurance, what, what they call well-med insurance, it's not. It's, it's, United it's actually Healthcare. United Healthcare Insurance. Um there's there's not a lot of physicians who take the Medicare Advantage plan over on the east side of San Antonio. So it's great that that this that this group does and and so there's such a need in the community for great doctors, especially ones that have same day appointments. How difficult is that and how frustrating is it as a patient when you're not feeling well and you need access to your physician and you call and they say, oh, I have an appointment in two weeks. Two weeks, I'll be dead. I need an appointment now. So Often when I hear that response, I say to them, and if I'm dead in two weeks, can I blame you? Exactly. And and not only that, but what are we really trying to do in Medicare, in, in medicine in general? It's all about prevention. And so we're really trying to prevent our patients from going to the ER and, and bottlenecking the ER with things that we could take care of. They're called ambulatory sensitive care conditions. And Medicare expects that your PCP is going to take care of them in the office. And you're not going to have to go and be admitted for that. All right, now say them again because that to me is a, a new term, ambulatory. Ambulatory care or ambulatory sensitive care conditions. And what would that, that be? That means, okay, so think ambulatory things that you should be able to walk around and have treated, right? Congestive heart failure is one of them, diabetes, COPD, pneumonia. Those are things that you should be able to recognize your symptoms early and go into your doctor, have access to your doctor, get in quickly, and your doctor can treat as an outpatient rather than have you going into the hospital and being admitted and getting whatever other diseases you're going to get there. Yeah, you don't ever want to be in the hospital if you can avoid it. Correct. So those are conditions that, that Medicare believes that we should treat. And if there's an access issue with your physician, which it sounds like it with Dr. Ortiz, there is not. So if there's an access issue, you're going to go to the hospital because you're not feeling well. So within his case, you have a physician who has same day appointments or next day appointments, and you can walk in and see him right then and you can get to feeling better in no time. What attracted you to medicine, Dr. Ortiz? Oh, wow. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice question. I like answering this question. So um, basically, when I, was a, when I was a much younger individual, I, um, I was introduced to a, a community class through my high school that involved being a volunteer at a local hospital and really just kind of getting that exposure to not only the, the doctors and all the very new and shiny technology at the time to me as a, as a kid, um, I was able to interact with a, a number of patients. And that's what really kind of attracted me to, to the medicine as a whole was that patient interaction um, and the ability for a physician to really 
literally, you know, stick their hands in, on your life and really change your life from from, from aspects, um, you know, uh, throughout your health and throughout the, throughout your life. Did you grow up here in the San Antonio area? No, ma'am. I actually moved to San Antonio about two years ago. Uh, I'm originally from Houston, Texas, a little small city adjacent to it called League City, Texas. Um, and then from there, um, I went through school all around through Texas. I went to training in Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And I came back here. I just couldn't uh, stay away. It was time for me to come home. <laughs> well, Houston's just a hop, skip, and a jump. Or so is League City. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away from San Antonio. So we're going to call you a hometown boy anyway. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And now, uh, as part of your practice, uh, you're seeing uh, Medicare-eligible seniors. Uh, is that something you wanted to do when you were in med school? Man, I can't wait to do geriatrics. <laughs> um, actually, the answer to that question is, is yes. Um, I most of the patient interactions that I've had was more towards the geriatric side of, of medicine. Um, and, you know, the ability to go out into the community was something that I really kind of focused on during my training in, in New Orleans um, because, you know, as an internal medicine physician, um, you know, we're trained in all different aspects of medicine. So when we go out to communities such as the one I'm in, the south side of San Antonio, um, you're able to act as, um, you know, someone's, you know, cardiologist for a bit or someone's, you know, pulmonologist for, for you know, a limited amount of, of things that you can treat. But still, you know, if they need um, a certain aspect of their care, I can provide it to them. And then not only that, I have access to the specialist that I use in combination with, you know, myself, and we can really kind of tackle people's problems in that, in that um, sense. Um, but I really enjoy being out in the community. I like treating people out in the community. Um, I like preventing people from going to the hospital because that's a major, major, major deal. And, um, yeah, I, I guess I've always kind of gravitated towards this. Do you make house calls? No, I don't. No, 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 no I don't. But um, I occasionally I go into the community myself, and I do um, give a number of talks. Um, I think I gave a talk on diabetes a week ago. Oh, that's cool. We're at Mission Trails Baptist. And so I try to get my face out there. So if folks wanted to have you come talk to their group, maybe their homeowners association about a variety of issues or a neighborhood association, you're available to do that? Absolutely. I think that would, that's actually a really nice idea, and I hadn't thought of it. How do but they yeah, get a hold I, of you? I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there a phone number for the clinic to find you? Sure, yes. Um, my main number at the, at the clinic is 210-648-9500. You get to do that twice on the radio. Oh, two one. Sorry, uh, the number is two one zero six four eight nine five zero zero. And uh, you, you love. Obviously, there's no charge. You're happy to go out and talk to groups. I like that. Absolutely. You know, it's important to get my face out there, and I guess to let people know that there's a brand new doc that's a set up shop in that particular area, and that I'm available to see them whenever. Now, you mentioned diabetes. Uh, clearly, in, in this part of the world, you see a lot of patients who have type 2 diabetes and maybe some with type 1. Yes, yes. Majority is, is type 2, but I have seen a few here and there that um, are type 1 diabetics. Yes, sir. Most of our seniors <clears throat> have uh, type 2 diabetes, and, you know, it's so prevalent here. And unfortunately, so many of our type 2 diabetics, they don't just have diabetes. You know, they have another comorbid condition, and it's usually depression is one of them, CHF or congestive heart failure is another, um, high cholesterol or high blood pressure is another. And so... Unfortunately, so many of these patients, and as they get to be seniors as well, have this huge comorbid circle or cycle when one disease triggers the others, the others trigger as well. And a ton of medications yes. they're taking. And so it's so important for people to understand that they need to establish a good relationship with their primary care physician and their partners. And they also need to see them frequently. You know, I... I it used to cringe when I would see patients and they would tell me, I'll come see you when I feel bad. And I'd say, no, that's not the way this works. Because 
when you drive your car and you go and you get your oil changed every 3,000 or 5,000 miles, you do so because there's nothing wrong with your car. It's to keep something from going wrong with your car. Why can't we value our bodies and our lives the same way that we value our car? And so it's really important to have a physician, especially somebody who's taking new patients, that you can establish with. You sound young. I'm, I don't even know your age, but your voice sounds very young. You kept referring to when you were a kid, and I thought, isn't he still a kid? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you. somebody that they can, they can grow with that, that will be there for a long time for them. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing in the world is you go and your doctor looks at you and says, well, I'm retiring. I know. Isn't that horrible? You don't want that to happen. You know, one of the physicians over on that side of town, on the southeast side of town, he, he he's 78 now, and he's been practicing in that area for 40 years. And I think, what's going to happen to his patients when he retires? That's got to be scary. They'll all go to Dr. Ortiz. <laughs> I'm hoping so. Hey, there, there you go, right there. They'll come to me. Well, I'm talk to me so. a, a little bit, because we, we touched on diabetes, and I, I don't want to just leave that hanging there. Uh, it, it obviously type two diabetes uh, is so connected to diet and exercise and lack thereof and obesity. Are you able to break through to patients and help them understand the importance of maintaining uh, responsible eating and exercise program? Um, yes, you, you know, I actually um, do do a little bit of of weight management and weight loss as well. So I'm actually able to combine the two very um, effectively. Um, really, you know, the thing that I tell my patients that are diabetics is, look, like I will do my job as your physician and we'll take care of your diabetes, but you almost have to meet me halfway and do your part as well, which includes a lot of dieting and, and exercise that, you know, someone's able to do. So, uh, we actually have diet plans written up that were, um, kind of recommended and, and put together from other diets um, that are recommended by the ADA or American Diabetic Association that we um, hand out and kind of go through. Um, because really, as Cora pointed out, you know, diet and exercise, you can, you can, I have many diabetics that have controlled their diabetes with just diet and exercise alone. So they're not on any kind of uh, diabetes medication? Um, y- yes. Uh, you know, I have some diabetics um, who just have been able to control it just with a whole complete 180 in, in, in their lifestyle habits. And that's the way most diabetics want to be. You know, right. most people want to be medicine-free. And I tell them how important it is, though, that you have to put your your part, too. You know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. I, as a provider, where I would love to be able to put you in a bubble and control everything that you do, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. You're not going to want me hovering over you. In fact, living in a small town, and a lot of my patients were from a small town, I would see them at the different fast food restaurants, and I'd peer over their you know shoulder and look at their plates, and kind of, they'd look up at me in shame, and I'd look at them like, oh, I can't believe you did this. So, yeah, you never want to live in the same town as your, no. your provider. But the patients have to hold up their end of the bargain. And so it's really good when you can give them guidance and you can give them step-by-step instructions on here's some of the foods that you can eat and ways to eat them. And Dr. Ortiz, uh, when you think about type 2 diabetes and the incredible problems it can cause if you don't manage your diabetes, I know Texas uh, and San Antonio leads the nation in the number of leg amputations as a result of uh, diabetes. That has to drive you as a provider crazy. You know, it really does, and that's that's the exact wording that I would use too. Um, it, it's frustrating, um, but at the same time, um, you know, it's also very hard to get someone to change, uh, you know, their habits they've been doing their whole life. And so, I think that as a as a provider, all providers, um, as Cora illustrated beautifully again, that you know, we should really help the patients and guide them in terms of making those those lifestyle habits, because any, any provider can say, well, you know, you need to diet, you need to exercise, and, you know, here's what you need to do. But to sit there and follow up with someone about their weight and what they're eating and, and really kind of tweak, um, you know, in terms of give advice to what they're eating and give recommendations for exercise, it really can go a long way in preventing those types of uh, um, things that you mentioned, the amputations. You have the time to spend with patients so that you can make a real impact on them? Yes, um, I'd like to think that I do. Um, you know, with the same days and the walk-ins and such, it, it can get a little a little busy, but I always make sure to keep my uh, diabetics coming in frequently um, with follow-up. 
um, especially if they're doing um, weight management or I'm helping them with the weight loss or weight management um, so that I can make sure that these lifestyle habits are, are actually getting written in stone, I suppose, is just a, a short-term thing. So your patients are not on a conveyor belt, just rushed through your office. They actually get to sit no. and talk to you. Yes. You know, uh, like I said, I, that's why I got to this whole thing is, is the whole patient interaction. I really appreciate that and really value that as a physician. So I try to spend as much time as I, as I can. And what's nice is that you can, you, you know, the ones that need to be run through a conveyor belt, like the acute things that come up, the stub toe, the nosebleed, those kind of things, you can get through relatively quick. And then you can take time to pause with your diabetic patient who's out of control and, and help them and spend a little more time with them on their issue. Hang with us yeah. just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. We're talking on our WellMed radio hotline with Dr. Gabe Ortiz. He's with San Antonio Premier Internal Medicine. He is an internal medicine specialist. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. So we're having the best time talking with Dr. Gabe Ortiz. He is in internal medicine with San Antonio Premier Internal Medicine and is indeed looking for new patients. We'll give you a phone number if you want to have a chance to talk with him. No obligation and no salesman will call 210-648-9500, 210-648-9500. And I know he and his folks would be very happy to talk with you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. And before we run flat out of time here, uh, Dr. Ortiz, uh, when you think about ways in which medicine has advanced uh, with all the incredible tests and machines and telemetry. Uh, do physicians run the risk of losing that one-on-one eyeball-to-eyeball patient contact? Um, you know, I actually think, think they do. I, I think there is a, there's definitely an art form to the to physical exam and history gathering that can get lost in, in just, you know, being able to, to order a, a you know, CT scan or an X-ray. Um, and so to, to take the time and, and really sit there and do a nice physical exam that pertains to the patient's chief complaint, um, as well as gather a, a quick but, you know, accurate history, takes a lot of practice and, and you know, takes, a, takes effort. Um, and so, so, yes, I do think that we as providers can always look for ways to get better, including myself. My late Uncle Saul was a family practitioner back in the 1940s and 50s, and uh, he, he used to tell me, because at the time I used to hang out with him, when he made house calls, uh, he would tell me, all you have to do is listen and the patient will tell you what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. All the answers are literally sitting right, right in front of you as a provider you're, every day. You're exactly right. And your patients, they, they end up diagnosing themselves and you just help, you help fill in the pieces and then giving them the right guidance for it. But yeah, most of the time the patients will come in now, except when they've Googled something, you know, I was just they, thinking that, you were right? thinking that your dog was dying when you Googled oh, it, yeah. you know, um, it, you know, and l- most times though, they'll tell you, I think this is happening. Or if they've had an episode in the past, I think this is just like the last time I had X, Y, and Z. And so they at least give you an, a direction to go in the, in, in and, and help them, um, which is beneficial for us. And as a provider, uh, when somebody comes in to see you, uh, what do you like that patient to have with them? Uh, uh, for example, should they bring a list of questions or, or somebody with them 
who can help explain what's going on? Well, um, for, for new patients, you know, I always like to look for new patients' uh, uh, medicines that they have. And so I ask patients uh, when they come to me to bring their medication bottles so that I can take a look and accurately um, document, you know, what they are taking. Um, in terms of questions or, or people that they can bring, you know, I've seen it all and I, and I welcome it all. Um, you know, sometimes I've seen two pages worth of questions, sometimes, um, you know, much less. And as long as I'm able to provide that type of comfort to that person that I'm talking to um, in that time, um, that's really all that, all that matters. And then we often joke about uh, the most important question is the one as the patient's leaving turns to you and says, oh, by the way. The door handle conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've, uh, I've had a few of those as well. I have this crushing pain when I wake up in the morning, but I forgot to mention it, right? What could that be? Oh, I have no, no. idea. Well, Dr. Ortiz, <laughs> mm-hmm. we got about a minute left, and before we leave, uh, for, for those who are uh, you know, listening to you and getting a chance to know you, uh, what is it? You mentioned people and helping people. Uh, what else do you get psychic income out of practicing medicine? Um, well, I think it's just the joy of, of where I'm at um, in terms of the clinic and all the people that I work with. You know, all my staff is is fantastic, and they're and they're very happy to be there. And really, it's just a joy to to go to go to get up, go to work. Um, and, you know, I go to work with a smile on my face, and I leave with a smile on my face. I have the best staff, I have the best patients, and um, that's all really one can ask for. That's pretty cool. I want to thank you so much for joining <laughs> us on uh, Woman Radio again. If folks are looking to provide uh, themselves with a new PCP 210-648-9500 is your phone number. And thanks, Dr. Ortiz. We'll get you back again. You're a delight to talk to. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you. Take care. Great. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Uh, he was fun. Oh, he really was. And, I, and I'll tell you exactly what he said is true. So you walk into um, this office, and, and both offices, I've been to both, and Everybody is friendly. Everybody is very welcoming and very warm. So you don't feel as a patient intimidated. Um, I think that's one of the best selling points. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Gorjuk, thank you. Nurse practitioner, I'm Ron Aaron. Delight talking with all of you today on WellMed Radio on 930 AM. The Answer we will catch you again next week. Sundays at 5 p.m. on 930 AM. The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.